0: It is so comforting to know, Lord Jesus, that you sit enthroned and you are ruling and you are reigning. And that's, that's what we proclaim this morning. It's why we've gathered in your name and we ask, Lord, for wisdom as now we go to your word and are encouraged and strengthened. Fill us with a spirit of joy as we get to open up this truth. And Lord, show us what we need to see. We pray this all in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Good to be with you. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Before I I get started here, just want to say, Tuesday, November 3rd is a pretty important day, isn't it? Yeah. And and I want to remind you, we have the privilege to take part in our nation's election. If you have not already voted, uh, we do have materials available uh, for you. If you're in-house, you can grab those materials on your way out just to inform your, your, your voting in any way that we can. Uh, we also have recorded podcasts, one last week, one coming up this week, that we'd love you to take a listen to Uh, This last week, uh, I sat down with Dale Witherington, who works at the state legislature, and we talked about things like, does my vote count? When it comes to politics, uh, what are some biblical principles all Christians should be thinking through as they go to the polls, that sort of thing. Uh, We would love for you to utilize those resources and be informed because, uh, you know, we don't know the outcome of the election, but God does, right? Right? And we want you to be in prayer for this coming Tuesday and what is to follow. Because although we don't know what's going to happen on Tuesday whenever you're watching this or, or listening to this, um, but God does. And, and here's the thing. God knows what we need even more than just what we want. Would you agree with that? God knows what we need and, and we are called to trust him. I want to talk about that a bit today in James chapter 4. If you're following along, you can go there. James chapter 4. Would you agree with the statement that what we want is not always what we need? Yeah? Yeah? I was at the grocery store a few days ago, and I was told to get milk and bread. Or maybe it was milk and eggs, whatever it was. Anyway, and of course I made my way to the other side of the store where the chocolate chip cookies were, and I'm walking down that aisle very, very much on purpose, and I turn to my left, and no kidding, the very thought comes into my mind, do I want this or do I need it? Do I need this or do I just want it? I bet I do that every single hour of the day with something. Now, now, on that particular day, I walked away. Sorry, Matt's Cookies, you didn't get my sale that day. Free advertisement, but seriously. Most days, it's like, do I need this? Do I want it? Who cares? That sort of thing. We've all done it. We've done it a thousand thousand times over. Now, James in chapter 4 here is addressing our wants and desires in relationship to the way we handle getting what we want, or for that matter, what we don't get. The things we don't get that we wanted. When's the last time you didn't get what you wanted? How did you react? What goes on inside, or in this case, what then takes place on the outside when you don't get what you want? Uh, Look how James talks about this as he addresses pleasures and the things we're seeking from within. Look at verse 1. I'll start by reading this first little section for you. He says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. Really heavy language here. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? A little background here at the end of chapter three, James addresses the faulty thinking that selfish ambition and going after our wants will lead us to the most fulfilled life. And now he's addressing something more specific or particular in that a set of problems or conflicts within the church he was serving at Jerusalem. And the same applies for us today. Again he starts as he does each chapter with rhetorical questions, so he does throughout the first uh, number of chapters. Rhetorical set of questions. What causes conflict? Is it not? What's that war inside of you? Your passions? Now now passions aren't bad, church. But there's a line we can cross that leads to very very dangerous thinking. That's why he addresses wisdom in chapter 3. Very dangerous thinking, but also very dangerous living. The term here he uses for passions is actually cravings cravings. So often I think about food. We lost an hour, so maybe you're supposed to have eaten already, right? But just just stay with me here. I'll only go, at, you know, an hour or so, and then we'll, is that good? All right, a couple of thumbs up. All right, glad you're engaged. Don't think about lunch yet. I haven't eaten yet, so just feel sorry for me. Okay, thank you. Thank you, I know you don't. Forbidden wants, he says, turn into wars. Lust brings about murder. Really heavy language, like I said. When we covet, it builds within us frustration because we can never get enough. Now think about it. God is the one who is the creator of all good and enjoyable things. Right? In fact, he is the one who actually gave us that desire in our hearts for the things that pleasure us. It actually comes from God. He wants us to enjoy life. I think of what Psalm 34, 8 says. Oh, taste and see. God made an unbelievable universe and earth and that he wants us to experience and taste and see. But what does it end by saying in Psalm 34, 8? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He gave us that desire or passion within us to be going after him. In other words, to desire and want and be fulfilled in him. And that relates to what James is talking about here in verse 2. He says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And he's kind of addressing two things with prayer here. First, you do not have because you do not ask. In other words, there are some of you who just don't bring what you are to bring before God to him. You neglect prayer. James knows that there's a, there's a group of people within the church that just really struggle with prayer. And i got to tell you, as a pastor, what I hear most often isn't, man, my prayer life is perfect, I have nowhere to grow in that area, everything else is rough, but man, my prayer life is perfect. No, what I usually hear is the opposite, and that is, you know, if there's one area I need to grow, it's in my prayer life, in my walk with Christ, it's growing in relationship with God, and that's certainly what James is getting at here. And I think the reason that Often we neglect prayer. I mean, I guess there could be a number of things, but it can be shame and guilt. It can be things like that that keep us, for whatever reason, from going to God. I I think another thing is that we don't really believe that God will answer it the way we want to answer. So for whatever reason, we just neglect prayer entirely, or we keep things kind of peripheral, like just kind of on the outside, like, thanks for the food, amen. We just keep things shallow with God. I think another reason, though, why we don't pray is that I think in our hearts uh, we avoid God because I don't think we want him to change what we want to control. Or we're afraid that if we address it with God, then he might do something about it. And James realizes this and and understands that, no, we don't bring to God what we should. But he also addresses praying wrongly. The second is a contrast between what we want and what we need. He's not saying whatever you want, you'll get. Instead, you spend it on your passions. When you finally do pray, all you pray for is wants rather than needs. All you pray for is what you're, you're feeling and hoping to get. Now we need to have discernment in prayer because prayer really is about relationship with God and James is getting to that. And and we need to remember that, of course, God wants us to cast all our cares upon him, for he cares for us. So we can bring anything to God, but if you pause for a minute and consider even the things that you brought before God this last week, and ask yourself were their wants or were they needs, my guess is they'd probably end up on the side of wants, usually. Would you agree with that? that? That so often, rather than praise and thanksgiving, it's request. And, and of course, we can bring any requests to God, but we, we tend to side on our, our health concerns or, or, or wants in that case, and often they can be very, very good things. But the bottom line is, the bottom line is, this is, this is something James addresses as it comes to wants and needs. Look at verse 4. My guess is our prayers are filled with wants, but God's purposes and goals are not to fulfill our impulses, rather to bring us to a place where we love what he loves and have a heart for him. So this is the goal of prayer, and he expounds on this a, a bit deeper, when he says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? He's getting at relationship with God. That, that prayer is not transactional in nature. It's not intended to be that. Like God's some gumball machine. You put the quarter in and then you hope to get the treat you want. I remember as a little kid, do you guys know what gumball machines are, kids, these days? Um, you, you put this quarter in then you turn this knob and then out comes like, you know, whatever you paid the quarter to get. But you didn't know what you were going to get. Okay, I remember one time turning that knob and nothing came out. And I was going to throw that thing on the floor and shatter it. No, I didn't do that. Because I didn't get what I want. Is that how we kind of treat God sometimes? Kind of depends on if we really wanted it, I guess. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He goes from talking about prayer to talking about friendship with the world. And asks the question, why? What's... what's What's the contrast here? Now, now, God doesn't make enemies. First, I want to say that. It's not that God is seeking to be enemies with you. Don't read this wrong. God so loved the world. But when we go to our feelings and pleasures, just like the video articulated... When when all we want is what the world can offer, what are we doing? We're putting ourselves at enmity with God or contention with God. For God knows that the carnal pleasures of the world will never fulfill us and that it will ultimately drive us away from him because when we want something that cannot fill us, then we will always want it eventually replacing God because if we want something we cannot ever get, we will seek after it. And replace it with God, as I said. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. This is brilliant, what James is doing here. He gives us a picture of our heart. God made it to house his spirit. But from the day we were born, guess what came in, renovated the kitchen and the bathroom, and moved in and took over? Pride pride from the day we were born because of sin pride took over and said you know what you don't need God you're the master of your own ship you're in control the only way to really enjoy life is to be in charge of your life and be in control of your life that's pride Pride says, do your own thing and that will bring happiness. Pride says, what you want is what you need. That's what pride says. This is, of course, why James addresses wisdom first and then gets into this hostility that was amongst the believers in the day. From the day we were born, sin comes in and takes up residency in the form of pride in the place that God is to reside. But if that were true, if it really were that what we want, what we desire and what pleases us and pleasures us, if that were really to fulfill, it would have have certainly worked by now. It would have worked by now if... If that could give us the longing we desire, if chasing after desires could fulfill, it would work, but instead we know it leaves us troubled and and divided and hostile towards one another because pride builds within us conflict, which is why James is addressing its relationship to our relationships. Relationships. It makes us at odds with each other and more grievously at odds with God. It's why he says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride creates hostility with God because it takes the space that God intended for his spirit. I was trying to think of like what that looked like and what came to mind was imagine leaving here and going back home to your house or apartment Imagine walking in the door and seeing all your stuff gone and someone else's stuff in there and someone sitting on your couch or on their couch and and they've just taken up residency at your place. How would you react? How weird would that be? How contentious would that be? What if they just took over? What was intended for God, pride comes in and renovates and uses for itself. That's why it creates hostility within us. What are you chasing that you know can't fulfill you? What goals or passions are taking precedence over God's place? We're conditioned to think. We're conditioned to think, church, that our pleasures will one day fulfill us and give us The joy and and the happiness we're seeking after. But like I said, if it could satisfy, it already would. History shows us that rather than satisfy, our selfish ambitions and passions cause agitation and tension within us. And what's in us directly affects what's happening on the outside. So when we don't get what we want, we... You fill in the blank. We cry about it. (laughs) We get all worked up. It triggers us. And what in turn does that cause? Conflict with other people. That's what James get, gets at. And, and when this is happening within the church and, and among believers and in our homes, it's ugly and detrimental, both to our lives and everything that we're dealing with, but also in our example to others of the same grace that God has given us. It was some months, months ago, but uh, we, my family and... And I were taking care of a little baby, and uh, she had already eaten. We were at the dinner table. She had already eaten, and we were having—I don't remember what it was, but some—it was pretty hot food. And and she had already eaten, so someone was going to have to hold her. And on this moment, I was holding her with my left side, and on the right side, I'm trying to eat my food like this. You know, you can imagine. And what does she want? Baby wants hot food. And not only do I not want her to eat that because she shouldn't eat it because she wasn't old enough to eat big people food, but um, she, I didn't want her to touch it because it was really hot. But I was probably talking and distracted as I get. <laughs> you can laugh. And, and, and I turn like this way and she just goes... Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And, of course, I say, stop, you know, like that. And then she feels the, the heat on her hands. And she just gives one of those looks like you know that sort of thing I didn't do that very well anyway and I remember thinking no you don't you you thought you wanted it but you did not want that and I don't think she did it after that again but <laughs> are we not like that? especially when it comes to pleasures if we're honest with ourselves are we not like that? we might even know it will burn it will hurt and yet we touch it Anyways, losing our temper, disappointment, conflict with others, this is a sign that we're following our wants rather than our needs, church. But isn't it amazing? Think about this. Isn't it amazing that God's answer to our lack, our going after everything else, uh, our, our poor example of his grace is to actually give us more grace. <laughs> I'm so thankful for that. In fact, sometimes when I think about it, it just doesn't make any sense. I want us to hear that today. It's where James takes us, but he gives more grace. I mean, there's a lot of serious language here, but James gets real once again about the gospel. Where sin grows, God's grace is greater, he's saying. If you're conflicted in your heart today, grace will abound if you allow the Lord Jesus to come in. If you've messed up again or failed a loved one, if you're at the end of your rope, there is more grace. Man, I need to hear that today. God wants to forgive me. He he desires to restore and redirect my life according to his will, not my own his posture towards me is gentle and kind and loving and merciful he doesn't look past my sins I mean it's why Jesus had to die on the cross a death had to be paid but he's alive he's victorious and I'm reminded that his grace is sufficient for all of my sins church hear this in that place of failure or defeat he gives more what more grace you can say it I can't believe how much he cares for us I I seriously can't believe how much he loves us and desires to lavish his grace upon us by the way how how do you perceive God Always mad and angry? Always always mad at you for something? Always disappointed in you? Or, or, Or do you imagine him to be gracious and gentle with you? You know, our pride fools us into thinking that God is stingy as it relates to even our prayers. And that he's not giving us much because he didn't give us what we wanted. But God loves to give us what we need what we need to hear today he's so generous with what we need he lavishes upon us the things that we need he will always provide what we need and what we need the most is grace so James takes us again grace And, and by the way church grace isn't just for salvation we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that much we know that much we can be assured of because there's nothing we can do that can ever bring us into the righteousness that God expects and is himself. So we're saved by grace through faith. But you know, it's so much more than that. He gives us grace, church, even for our day. He's wanting to lavish his grace upon us even so that we can deal with what's going on today and and this week. Let me prove it to you. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, not want, need, you will abound in every good work. In other words, when you're filled with what God intends to fulfill in your needs, then you get along because you're not at conflict with God, Such a beautiful verse. Then then we want to be good to one another and and our works show it. Everything we do is about his love and grace. It's all about what what we need. Now here's what happens though, and I'll just say this in closing. Because our pride and, and then the conflict it causes between people is so destructive... Uh, James needs to show us what it looks like to take back what pride has looted from us. And, and so in, in the next few verses, and we're going to close at, at verse 10 today, and then I'll get to the rest of the verses next week. He gives us seven things. Kind of steps from, how, how, where do we go from here? Kind of s- seven steps here. He says, submit yourselves to God. Then he, then he says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. What a great promise. Draw near to God, and that's the third thing, and he'll draw near to you. Then he says, cleanse your hands. We're gonna have an opportunity to do that as we, as we uh, get into our, our, our communion service, part of the service. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then he says this, be wretched and mourn and weep. He's talking about true surrender. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom, not forever, but you know when we have a contrite heart, which means a heart that really truly wants to give up that which pride has stolen from God. We are sorry, but more than sorry, we, we we, we seek to give our sins to God. And then he says this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. It's the opposite of what the pattern of the world is. The pattern of the world is do your thing and you'll get what you want and you'll get your heart's desire. And, and what this is saying we know it's true is when we die to self when we die to self and surrender to God then, then we will be lifted up. It's awesome. You know I, it's always in surrender that I realize my, my, my great need. In other words, if I just go along in about life, it's easy to get distracted and not realize my need for surrender. But it's in a moment like this when God's word is convicting my heart that I realize my great need to give to God what he, he, he calls us to bring to him. He doesn't want us to keep from him because he wants to lavish his grace upon us. We have an opportunity now, I'm just gonna ask you, if you you don't mind, if you would bow your head with me as we prepare our hearts for our communion service, as, as we take part in remembering what Christ Jesus has done for us on the cross, and that he shed his blood and died for our sins so that pride could be removed from that place that was intended for God. And in its place, God comes in and sits enthroned. But as you would bow, I want to pray on our behalf that God would remove that pride so that we would be responsive to his will. And so if you would just bow with me, I want to pray that first. And then uh, Pastor Kevin is going to prepare us for the communion service. Lord Jesus, may, may we not... You know, go another moment hanging on to the pride that has robbed God of the place he is to reside. And I ask you, God, that you would soften us so that we would be responsive to that, to that need. Show us what we need and, and allow us or help us to put to bed what, what we want that we've put in precedence over you. Lord Jesus, we need your grace more than ever before. We're a prideful people in and of ourselves. We're selfish. We're double minded. Meaning, like some days we we kind of follow God and then other days we don't. Some moments we seem to follow his word and other moments we don't. We're inconsistent. We struggle in our prayer life. We're ashamed of things we've done. In fact, it comes to the point sometimes where we don't even want to go before you, God, or be around other believers in Christ because we're ashamed of things we've done in our life. But God, you are a gracious God. And we need to be reminded this morning that you give more grace, that you offer more grace where sin abounds. There is, there is grace more and more. Lord Jesus, draw us to you and allow us to die to self. Lord, lift us up as we surrender to you and give us victory over sin. Allow us to live in your peace and restore, Lord God, our relationships and most importantly, our relationship with you. We pray this all.